You're listening to the GNU World Order. My name's Cloud2. This is episode 359, I think. We're going to talk about Groth some more. Now, I spoke about Groth in the previous episode. I introduced Groth and Grofer specifically, which are two pretty important tools in the Groth tool chain. And I guess more importantly, I explained why Groth was worth talking about. And the, the, the reason that I think Groth is worth really diving into for, for two episodes now. It, well, it's twofold. One, because that is the stated mission of uh, this podcast currently, where we're looking at every single command that ships on Slackware Linux. So Groff has several commands that, that are shipped in that in, in the Groff package, so right, we, we have to hit them all, right? That's what we said we would do. But the, the more significant reason, I think, the less arbitrary one is because Groff has a pretty rich tool chain and yet a pretty lightweight tool chain. Or at least, I guess you might say, consolidated. Y you can add a lot to Groff and make it very complex, but ultimately, if you're if you're sitting down to think about how you're going to construct this this tool chain on Linux for technical writing or or really anything that requires, I guess what I might think of as, as advanced or professional grade typesetting, Groff is a very real possibility, and it seems crazy because we think of Groff as just that old language that you use for man, man pages, but it's actually, it's got a lot of cool features uh, that I dare say sort of mimic and, and maybe even rival, if you want to use that word, latex, and certainly docbook and, and probably pandoc as well, but the investment in setting that up is far less because Groff is so integrated into the Linux system because man pages are written in in trough and and Groff is GNU trough so you kind of inherit a lot of the hard prep work just by running Linux so you you probably have a Groff stack already and that's a big bonus uh, if you're if you're thinking that you want to get a toolchain set up for document processing. Realizing that you already have one could be a, a big deal. So here's some things about Groff that we have not talked about yet that we need to cover. Um, and again, this is quite quite arbitrarily um, in order of just the, the way that they come in the package. So the first uh, binary here that we've not covered in the Groff package yet is add ft info and add ft info is a an application as, as is the next one in line afm2dit these are font related applications or, or or commands and the fonts that they concern themselves with are not modern by any stretch of the imagination they are legacy font files that you and i probably honestly don't care about. And so I'm not going to do a deep dive into these two commands. I'm going to mention then th them, and then we're going to move on to more exciting topics. But I think that they are a good excuse to analyze a tangential part of Graph, which we already started covering last time, but I want to get more into uh, this time, which is just general, like, the components of Groff, like the things that you can do with Groff. And one of those that we, we never, we, we've not talked about yet are our font faces and how you change them up in your document. So uh, the abbreviation for font in Groff tends to be FT. I don't know why anyone thought that font needed to be abbreviated at all, but they are. 
it's FT, it's pretty common, you'll see it in a couple of different places, including a request. Now you'll remember from the previous episode that a request in Graph is what you and I probably think of as like a command, or maybe markup. A request has the request itself, and then it's got an argument, sometimes an optional argument, sometimes a required argument, but that's that's the, the syntax. And you'll recall we, taught, we, we looked at the .th uh, request. We looked at the .sh request. The th was for title header, I think, and the sh was for subheading. So we, uh, I think there was what .ip and .pp, which were uh, paragraphs with possibly a label. So we've looked at a couple of these 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 things called requests, and one of them is the ft request, which we can look at uh, in a moment here. But first, I'll just really quickly just kind of talk about what add ft info is. Uh, by the man page, it says that it adds information to trough font files for use with Groff. And the key here is that uh, trough font files are defined uh, in a location that we can actually learn from AFM2DIT. That's AFMTODIT. That's the next command in the in the package. AFM2DIT takes Adobe font metric files and converts them, or yeah, I guess converts them into a format that Graph can use when outputting to PostScript or PDF devices. Again, we don't actually need to do that ourselves. Um, it's, it's, there, there are far more advanced ways of getting pretty fonts than, than this. So you, you very, very likely do not need this ever. But let's take a look anyway at the font location for Graph. And that, according to the file section of AFM2DIT, is located in e, uh, slash usr slash share slash graph in the version number uh, for Slackware it's 1.22.3 right now uh, slash font slash and then you've got a bunch of different things to choose from and I guess we'll take ps dev ps that would be postscript because that that seems relevant that that's a modern output format that you can you can expect to output to so dev ps and if we tab around in there we see that there's a bunch of little sort of two and three letter files in here, including one called DSC, probably short for description. So we'll look at that real quick. And I'm just going to cat that to my terminal. And it looks like it gives me stats about some fonts, probably the fonts related to DevPS. So for instance, it tells me the resolution, 72000. It tells me the horizontal and the vertical scale, 1 and 1 respectively. The size scale, the unit width, the different styles available, RIBBI and so on. So there's data in here, we just don't exactly understand probably what the data is trying to tell us. So what we can do is look instead momentarily at the font files in dev utf8. I think that's a little bit clearer. There's uh, b, b, i, i, and r, and then the description, and the description, if you cat that, it's basically the same kind of information, although it is unique, it, it, it is different. There's different values for the same information. And we'll look at the R file first, and I think I'll, pipe, I'll, I'll put that through less. I'll just do less, user share, graph, blah, font dev utf8 slash R. And it tells me that the name of this font is R, the space space width is 24, and then there's a character set, and it lists a bunch of codes, Unicode codes. And it does that for several, several lines of text. So we know that for the device utf8, 
we have four fonts to choose from. And if you extrapolate a little bit, or if you look around in the in the GNU documentation, you'll understand that R is regular, B is bold, I is italic, and BI is bold italic. So those are the font faces or font families available for this output device, which means that if I have a man page that I'm working on, and I can I can go to a an, any old project on my in my source directory here, my code directory, and open up a, a man page. So if I've if I've got a, a page that I'm working on, and I know that at some point I want to change the font, maybe of a specific word. For instance, maybe you're writing about a command. Maybe the command is called sport. And you think, well, I want to sort of bring attention to the fact that this command is the command, the, the, a topical command in this man page. So I want to bold that that name, that the command name anytime I mention it in the, in the man page. Well, you can do that. You can do that with a request and an argument. And there are two different ways you can express that in Groth, in the language of Groth. And that is the normal way, we'll call it, which uh, we, we've, we've learned is a request and an argument. So the, the request for fonts is .ft. Now we've made the request to, to do something with the font, and then space, and then there's an argument. And in this case, we know that we could use the, the, the font B for bold and then type out the word and then we'll hit return. And so on a new line, we type out the word that we want to have in bold, sport. And then next line, we'll do another request.ft. And here we can either leave it blank and or we can put the letter P for previous. Leaving it blank defaults to P for previous. So you can do either one. I prefer explicit instructions, so I'm I'm going to put the P here. I don't like to just rely on implicit defaults. So .ft space B for bold, sport .ftp as in previous. And then since I'm writing about sport, I'll say um, comma or quote slackware port, because that's what that stands for, is a BSD port style tool period. Okay. And then I'll make a new paragraph break at that point. So we know that Groff, so I'll save that and I'll do a, I guess I'll just do a, a less on sport.8, which is the man page I've just modified. And I see that indeed the word sport has been emboldened in the text and it is rendered as a bold word in, in less and it would be rendered as a bold word in um, in in man if I looked at it in man uh, and then oh you know what bi isn't bold italic it's it's I think like underlined or something bizarre like that yeah it's uh it's underlined but anyway so the the that's one way to format a font change in in the graph syntax now there's another way an inline method that you can use which I, I usually uh, do use and it's it's possible to do this because as you probably know or you may recall the 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 syntax or or graph when it processes a document it sort of eats up um carriage returns end of line characters it 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 it, it makes things that are on separate lines be on one line um that was something that we saw i think in the previous episode i demonstrated that so you you don't have to collapse it into one line. Like, it's, it's perfectly happy to process requests more or less invisibly and then continue on processing your text. But inline 
sort of feels more natural, I think, when you're when you're writing. So um, to do an inline request, it, it kind of depends on the request that you're making, but uh, it it, it kind of spells it out in the manual in the in the GNU man pages or the the online documentation whatever those are called GNU documentation so it says for a for a font change you do a backslash and then the letter F as in font and then with no white space B or or whatever it is that you want to change it to I'm going to go B for bold right now and then we'll type out the word so again no white spaces and then another back space uh, backslash and then the letter F again so we're We've opened a tag, sort of. You can think of it that way, and then we've closed a tag with backslash f, and then again you could you could just give it nothing, and it'll default to p for previous. But I'm gonna be explicit: p for previous, and then comma, and then the rest of my sentence as desired. Okay, so we'll do that, and then I'll I'll look at it again with less, just because that's the easy and quick way to look at this. And there it is, um, same same result essentially, but all inline. So that is the font manipulation in Graph. And if you actually need font um, manipulation of of the actual font file, then you know that add t uh, add ft info and afm two dit do exist. I don't know when you would use them. I will comment one more thing uh, on one more aspect of this. Add ft info is it, it it has greater awareness than trough does natively of specific font attributes so for instance there's a dash dash x dash height to adjust or to account for the the height of lowercase letters without ascenders so ascenders being the little sticky uppy party part parts of the of a b or a d or an l or or probably a p uh, anything that ascends beyond that sort of midway point of an of of an alphabetical character. Um, so x dash height would be the the height of a letter like x. I find that interesting because if you think about modern CSS, one of the one of the defining one of the big breaks from CSS two to three, or not not break, but one of the big the big deals about the 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 progression from CSS two to three was this uh, these new or or I don't know if they were new I'd have to look up the specs but I mean they were suddenly quite popular uh, the ex and the em properties um, uh, to define spacing so for instance you could you could tell a document to have one ex of of padding or or margin space or or you could say that the font size was going to be one ex and so on and this was a, a method to enable things to zoom in and resize gracefully because it would it knew to base its sizes to this relative value of a fairly predictable um point of 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 interest which was the the size of the font and the ways that that was determined were were the sizes of the x and the m the height of the x and the width of an, of an m i think it's interesting that graph from 1980 something apparently not 1989 i guess maybe groff but because trough obviously did not have the awareness but but groff does have that awareness sort of that 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 same interest in in for instance the height of an x now that might be something that they both carry over from traditional typesetting i i don't know the history of print well enough to know sort of the the lineage of this i just 
was something that I noticed when reading through the man page and thought I would mention it because it is kind of interesting. And, and that's the sort of thing that add FT info has properties and, and options for is like the X height, the, the figure or digit height, the ascending height for, for B and D and so on, the body height, uh, so characters such as parentheses, cap height, so characters such as a capital letter, comma depth, descender, the, the, Descender depth, so the lowercase p, lowercase q, lowercase y, things that descend lower than the baseline, and so on. So it's kind of interesting to see what what kind of attributes they actually were aware of and wanted to provide people options to to modify. So really quick, I'll, I'll mention this AFM to DIT application or command, whatever it is. I guess both are true. Um, and say that AFM to DIT. Uh, it's it's a I, I want to say it's a a font almost merger or correlator. So what it does is it looks at at a at at a PostScript defined font and it seeks to take each character defined in that font and match it or or ask you to match it with a graph a listing of every character in graph and what the or I guess that's the other way around. So. In other words, if you want a graph font in, when you go out to PostScript or PDF, you can use AFM2DIT to say, okay, well, here's all my graph characters, and A, capital A in this graph character, when, when, when I call for a capital A, I want it to produce in PostScript this letter, which obviously would be a capital A, but the, in the PostScript version. So essentially, it, it matches character to character between graph font definition and postscript font definition. You probably don't need to do that yourself. I mean, you, you would want to do that if you want to become a graph font developer or if you just have some special font that you need to have access to in graph. But at least with Slackware, you got you get a lot of those done for you. So for instance, if we look in that user share graph version number font uh, dev, for instance, PDF, and hit tab a couple of times, we see that there are a bunch of fonts in here. Now, they're cryptically named. They're very briefly named AB, ABI, AI, AR, BMB, BMBI, BMI, BMR, CB, CBI, and so on. And and it goes through not every letter, but it goes, it certainly has A and B and C, um, no D, H has N and P and T and U, a couple of variations of U, and even Z. So knowing that those exist, and that those have already been sort of mapped from PostScript to Graph, one could feasibly utilize that knowledge. And for instance, let's go to, we'll go to, um, we'll go here, we've got this man page, we'll do Grapher and dash F for font. I think that's what that is, dash F. Yeah, dash F is for font, specifically font name, I think. Dash dash font, yeah, font name, dash F, and then some name is is a font name. So we looked at Grapher last time. We'll do a quick quick Grapher of sport.8 with a dash capital T PDF as our argument. And um, it comes up with a nice looking PDF uh, in something approximating, you know, times or something like that. It's a serif font anyway. So if we do that again, but from Grapher, we'll do Grapher-F for font name, 
and then capital C as in courier, and then dash T PDF, and then sport.8. The PDF that I get then is using a courier style font, a monospace courier font. And again, I could try something like grafer dash F capital H as in Helvetica dash T PDF dot sport. And I get the the PDF with a nice looking open sans or not open sans but a sans serif uh, font. And if I go to File Properties and look in the Fonts tab, then I see now it's using Nimbus Sans uh, regular bold bold italic regular italic fully embedded into the PDF, but completely different than the default output of a serif font. So you've got a little bit of variation there in terms of what fonts you use in your PDF output of Grafer but you are, strictly speaking, a little bit limited by what happens to ship on your system, unless you want to create your own fonts, which is entirely up to you. That is something that you could do, but it's not necessarily something that, that you need to do, uh, unless you just have fonts that you just absolutely need to see that that aren't available to you. There you go. That's um, fonts. It's probably time for coffee um, after all that. I didn't really even mean to go that deep into fonts on Graph, but those those two commands kind of begged for it, and I think I think while we haven't run those commands, I could have lied to you and said I ran them and then just said, oh, look, there's output. But, I mean, it's not, to me, they're not really worth running the commands as much as they are talking about the topic that those commands kind of encompass. And so now we've talked about fonts and Graph, and Grofer. And the next topic on the list, then, is Chem and EQN. And I guess EQN to Graph, technically. But these are really, really cool little filters, or preprocessors, rather, for Graph. They help with scientific notation, so for chemistry and for equations. So we'll tackle that right after we have some C8H10N402. And yes, I had to look that up, but it was worth it. <laughs> Hopefully you've got your coffee, and hopefully you appreciated my chemistry joke. I had to look up the chemical notation of of coffee, and frankly, I'm not even sure if that is the chemical notation of coffee. It could be caffeine specifically. I'm not sure. Either way, what we have in Graph is a preprocessor called Chem, and uh, because it's a preprocessor, that means that you cannot run this on its own through through Graph. So it, it, it's something that has to happen before Graph gets its hand, it, it, before you pass it off to Graph. Let's try something sort of simple and demonstrative here. First, I'll create a file called example.chem. Right? Now, why not? And in this example, I'm going to open it up with a request of cstart. cstart is just a a designator for chem it denotes that a chem block is going is is about to follow and it is terminated by dot c end so between the c start and the c end or the dot c start and the dot c end uh, specifically i can write simple uh, just in plain 
ASCII characters, simple representations of chemical notation. So for instance, I could put C, dot C start C8 H10 in 4.0, whatever it was. I think that was actually it, but anyway. Uh, whatever it might be, put that in there, save it, go back out to my terminal, and we'll do chem example.chem, so that's invoking that preprocessor against what I've just created, the file that I just created, and then we're going to pipe it to Grofer, and actually I'll just do that for a moment, and if you, if you were to follow along, you would get a bunch of sort of garbage in in a PDF. You wouldn't know why that hadn't worked. Well, it turns out that chem is enabled by a little um, preprocessor help, helper file, uh, .pick file, which defines uh, a bunch of the different graphics and conventions that chem needs to have access to, the, the macros that it needs to have access to. You can view that file for yourself by looking in user share graph 1.22.3 and then PIC, pick. And in there, the only pick file, at least on Slackware, is chem.pick. And if you look at it, it is a, it's, it's full of macros for, for chem. Uh, it defines things like pi and um, a couple of different functions, um, are arguably. I don't know that that's technically what they're called in this language, but it certainly looks like a function to me. Um, so it defines the atom. It defines a bond, it defines a double bond, a triple bond, a back bond, front bond, a bunch of other stuff. So that exists, and that's what enables Groff to, or, or Chem rather, to, to output stuff that Groff can understand. Therefore, if we do chem example.chem pipe groffer p for, for pick and hit return, then we get a PDF. And we get a, a fairly boring but but nevertheless, you know, arguably it's it's rather easy for you if you're doing chemicals. A representation of C8H10 in 4O with all the numbers in, in that sequence that I've just typed in as normal ASCII characters in Groff, they're output as subscript after each, after each uh, letter. So it kind of, it makes that quickly possible for you if you're doing chemical notation. Now it doesn't stop there. So what you can also do, for instance, let's let's say for a moment, this isn't right, but we'll say we, we want to represent a bond between C8 and H10. So what I can do is go back to my example.chem file, C8, put a new space, a new, new line after that, and write the word bond, and then H10. And then let's put a double bond between between H10 and N4, and then a bond again between the N4 and the O. Save that, run the same command, chem example.chem pipe it to grafer-p, and now I've got a new notation of C8 followed by a long line, uh, a long dash that goes to H10 followed by two long dashes um, on top of each other, so almost an equal sign but very long N4, and then another line to O. And that's not exactly, that's obviously not how, that's not the correct structure for this, but I'm just doing that to demonstrate that you can, that you can do that within this, um, within this language. Now, more, it, it gets more complex, and that, you're, you're able to create molecular structure representations within this as well, and in order to do that, you can use, uh, rings and benzenes. I don't need the benzene, I just am going to use the ring, so you can dot c start r1 for ring one colon ring pointing right maybe yeah let's do that uh, and then r2 colon ring pointing right 
we'll save that. So this should give us two rings on, on, on a page. We'll run our magical command here, and I get that. So I've got, I've got a, um, I've got two rings, two, two hexagons next to each other with the rightmost vertex, ver vertex of one hexagon and the leftmost vertex of the other uh, hexagon touching. So you can reposition rings by telling it where you want them to intersect or, or where you want them to line up or, or touch, really. So instead of R2 just saying ring pointing right, we could also say ring pointing right with dot V6, so that's ver vertex 6 at ring 1, so R1 dot V4. So I'm telling this now to take the sixth uh, line of the hexagon of R2 and line it up with the fourth vertex of ring 1. And if we run our magical command, uh, it opens up. And now the two hexagons have two sides that are um, that are that are lined up perfectly next to each other. That this approximates incorrectly. Uh, more or less, it's starting to get close to the the caffeine molecule. I don't think it's useful to go through this entire thing and actually get a working caffeine molecule together. Not certainly not over audio, but um, what I will do is I'll, I'll add one more important notation to this line simply so that we kind of get the feeling for how you would go about constructing it. So R2, ring pointing right, and then we're going to use the keyword put, P-U-T. We'll put C8 at AT4, so that's um, point 0.4, intersection 4, and we'll do put H10 at 5 with dot V6 at R1.V4. So we've got R1 is a ring pointing right still, that's that's there. And we've got R2, ring pointing right, put C8 at 4, put H10 at 5, with V6 at R1.V4. And we'll run our magical command yet again. And sure enough, we've got now two rings and on at one intersection of, of two bonds, I guess, there's a C8, and then at the next one, there's H10. And I could keep going around each ring, placing chemical chemicals there. I could change the bonds between them, and so on. It, it looks exactly like you would expect a... Uh, such a such an illustration to look. I mean, it's it's very sort of um, clean, very exact, and it's all defined in text, which means that you don't have to drop out to Inkscape or LibreOffice Draw or whatever you want to normally think of as like the way that you would do an illustration. Uh, that's not something that you need. You can do the notation. You can construct your molecular uh, representations and print it all with with Graph. Or with a graph toolchain, because at this point, technically, we're outside of graph. We're in chem. Um, but that's a preprocessor for graph, so it's close enough. Okay, so next up, let's talk about EQN, because that's pretty cool as well. EQN is a lot like chem, or I think vice versa, actually. I think chem was after EQN. But it's, it's a preprocessor for graph, and it is used for equations, so mathematical equations. And according to its man page, it, it describes itself as format equations for trough or MathML. I don't know anything about MathML. I think I've, I think I've actually used it once 
but more as a in a document that I was processing, not a document that I was creating myself, and that's always a little bit different. So again, if we just kind of start out really, really simple here, we could create an example dot let's do ms. ms is a macro, a graph macro extension that's pretty common, so that's what I'll use. example.ms. To, to open up an, uh, an eqn statement, it's .eq is the request, and that's going to be closed by .en. So eq, .eq and then .en, and then between that we can we can write our equation whatever that equation might be we'll start out with something simple and just do e equals mc squared so the the way that you would represent that in ascii is e equals m oops mc and then space and then the word or the string sup sup as in superscript sup and then space the number 2 so you can probably kind of guess what that is telling EQN, but it's it is going to print exactly E equals MC, and then it knows because you used the keyword soup, S-U-P, and then the number two delimited by spaces, it knows to square the previous the previous uh, symbol, that being C in this case. Processing EQN, you can do it a couple of different ways. You can you can process it exactly you know with EQN, like that's kind of using the tool as I guess it's technically probably designed and that's that would be EQN and we could say we, we want to put it out to a PDF so dash T PDF example.ms is what we've given our little file name and then we'll pipe that through graph dash MS to tell it that it is a macro file dash capital T PDF and then pipe that out to some 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 file like example.pdf and that would that would render a pdf but that's not super con con convenient so what i'm going to do instead is just do a grapher space dash e example.ms dash ms and that should work and yes it does it, it gives me a pdf with e equals and then mc and then with a little tiny uh, uh, squared mark after the c so that's exactly what i was hoping to see to 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 get okay so that's a simple example. There are more complex examples that one could do. Um, let's look and see if I've got anything more complex written out already. Oh yeah, here's here's a good one. So this was an example from uh, an O'Reilly book on the subject. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a new line here. I've got my E equals MC squared super 2, or MC super 2, and then I'm going to do A sub 2 over B. So again, just kind of describing this in really plain English and getting probably exactly what you would expect. If I if I process that through Grapher, I get a PDF with E equals MC squared and then followed by A sub 2 and then a line and then under that line B. So EQN gives you all the tools that you need to construct really, really fancy equations. That's kind of the long and short of it. And for instance, and this will be the last one, but um, we could do a square root. So s square root, uh, again, just between EQ and EN um, requests SQRT space and then curly brace to demonstrate or to, to, pro to tell EQN what we're putting inside of the uh, square root part. So curly brace A, then we could do something like, I don't know, sub 2, for instance, uh, plus B, and then let's do soup 3 don't know why, but th that's what I've chosen. 
and then we can run that through Grofer, and I get, sure enough, I get that little square root symbol, you know, the little, it looks like a long division symbol, but it's uh, got that little thing at the end, uh, A2 plus B3, so it's perfectly formatted exactly as you would expect, and uh, it's, it's, you know, relatively easy to construct, as you can tell from from what I'm typing. I mean, it's it's something that you can describe in plain English and in ASCII characters and then process through either EQN or just use Grofer because it's kind of smart like that. And it's got, like I, like I said, in the... Or no, that was in Chem, wasn't it? Well, in, in, in one of these two, or actually both, I think, um, common symbols like pi and delta and so on are already defined for you and they exist uh, and so you can you can use those in your maths without really worrying about having to find them on a keyboard or anything like that. It's just they're they're just there. You just write out pi or delta and so on, and you're you're good. You're, you you got your um, you got your symbols, and you can construct it in lots of different ways. You can position it in lots of different ways. EQN has a, a probably even even more complex man page than Chem, so certainly it wouldn't be reasonable to try to get through all of that here, but uh, or even in one sitting. But as you are constructing an equation, I think you know if you know what you're looking for, it gets a lot easier. And there have been a couple of books written on the subject. I mean, I found one uh, by O'Reilly that, that happens to be partly, or maybe all, online. I don't know. Um, and it, it's okay. It's not... It isn't necessarily... Like, the chapter that I read on EQN was useful, but it wasn't totally complete in terms of the whole workflow. Um, I don't know if Grofer didn't exist when it was written, or if it just didn't bother talking about it. I'm not really sure. Um, but And I don't even think it tells you how to process it with the EQN command, actually. I think it's all about syntax. Maybe if I'd read more, it would have gotten to the commands. But I do feel like it's one of those things that if you know what you're looking for, it becomes easier to process, because then you know what notation you actually care about, rather than reading the whole man page and sort of reading about all these different corner cases that you'll that, that maybe you'll use someday but but you don't need right now the EQN preprocessor itself uh, is relatively simple it's you know EQN and then the file that you want it to process and then the output device that you intend it for you can actually leave that off and it'll warn you um, it, it'll warn you that you didn't give that command so it's it's a little bit smart. I, I don't know why you need the output target uh, exactly because it's not like you're actually getting a, a valid PDF from from the EQ in command um, because then you you still have to pipe it through Groff and invoke it as a macro and again tell it that you want to output to a PDF and then redirect that output to a PDF. I'll put all that in the show notes, I guess, um, and that way at least it'll be on the internet. Uh, I don't know if anyone will ever find it, but it, w it will be there. Maybe it'll help someone because um, some of the the different chaining together of all these different parts can get a little bit confusing. But that's EQN and Chem. I think those are both really, really interesting uh, tools that people don't necessarily know about Groff. I don't, I mean, I certainly didn't know that about Groff for, 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 for as long as I've known about Groff until very recently. So that's kind of cool to know about. It's, um, it's got some, some tricks up its sleeve. Okay, so the next one that we're going to talk about real quick here, I know that we're running out of time, is EQN to Graph. And this is, um, a little bit of a cheat because it is, um, 
it does the equations and it puts it out to a bitmap image so it requires image magic so it's very very much outside of graph really uh, this is just a little shell script uh, that that Eric S Raymond wrote and um, back in I guess July of 2002 according to the the copyright statement I feel like this is a pretty clearly defined little tool it, it does one thing and it does it I guess well uh, it, it it takes from in standard input an EQN equation and it converts it to a bitmap I have to admit I don't see the point. Um, I think probably at one point it was very, at one stage it was probably very useful because there were probably many places, for instance HTML, uh, that it was difficult to get your fancy equation to look right in this, in, in a setting. And so an easy way to convert that to a, a PNG was probably very, very, very useful. These days I, I don't know that this is the avenue I would take. I'm, I'm not sure. I could be wrong. Maybe I would, but um, off the top of my head, I, I don't feel like I would. It, it is pretty easy to use, so we'll just do an echo. E equals MC, and then sup2. We'll pipe that, cl close quote, and we'll pipe that through EQN to graph, and redirect into test.png, and the file is created. I can run file on the file and confirm that it's a PNG. I can also do a dash format on EQN to graph, so echo some equation pipe EQN to graph dash format and tell it some some format like PNG, JPG, WEBP, anything that convert supports you can tell it to output as. You can also use any convert option and and EQN to graph will pass it over to convert. So for instance, if we do this as is, format JPEG, redirect the test JPEG, and we look at test.jpg in display, test.jpg is quite small. 72 dpi really really tiny relatively speaking and and maybe that's problematic so instead what we can do is dash so we'll do echo and then our magical equation pipe eqn to graph dash format jpeg dash density and we'll do let's do 300 so that'll set the dpi to 300 uh, pixels per inch or dots per inch or whatever i guess technically pixels per inch and then we'll redirect that to test jpeg it takes a little bit longer that time that was a noticeable delay and when i hit display uh that displays the the text quite a lot larger it still looks very bit mappy and there are probably some flags in convert that i could use to help that kind of to control how it aliases the the the, the lines and such I, I just, for me, I can really, really kind of see myself not wanting to go that avenue in general. If anything, maybe converting it to PostScript and then from PostScript to SVG, something like that. Then again, maybe if I'm being lazy, this is exactly what I would want. However you feel about it, it exists. It's EQN2 graph. It will process text to PNG. Well, I should say it will process ASCII EQN formatted text to a PNG or a, to a graphic bitmap file and there's nothing wrong with that so try it that's it that's it for this episode we got through uh, technically five parts of graph and I, I think I'll probably spend less time on on the the next couple of parts but we'll see we'll have to see because it's a it's a fascinating fascinating little language and and I think that it's it's been a lot of fun at least on my end it's been a lot of fun to explore this and to to learn more about it because there's 
absolutely no reason for me to have ever explored this otherwise. So it has been a lot of fun and very enlightening. Who knows, maybe one day I'll actually use Graf for something serious and real. Maybe you will too after this. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. Cast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as Augcast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time. J.R. Bob Dobbs is here to spread abnormality.